0: Thank you. I wanna welcome all of our campuses. I wanna welcome our South Shore, Gulf Coast, online, Orleans Justice Center. I wanna welcome those of you at Little Creek to the fifth week of our series entitled When Life Hurts. Come on, can we just welcome all those joining us right now. Very excited to be with all of you. I trust uh, last week that you guys enjoyed Coach Tom Mullins uh, from Christ Fellowship. Come on, how many of y'all enjoyed Coach Tom Mullins? I say, was he a pastor, is he a coach? The answer is yes. He, he was a coach, actually, uh, till his late 30s, high school and college football coach. And then in 1984, uh, God called him to start a church, Christ Fellowship, started it with 10 people in his living room, and today one of the top 10 churches in America, 30,000 people on the weekend, multi-site all over West Palm Beach, Palm Beach, all up and down the Florida coast. Uh, he's really been a friend of mine, a mentor, And a real spiritual dad to me, so I'm glad you guys were able to come. By the way, if you're a guest here and you were not able to come last week, all of our stuff is online. Uh, You can go download our messages. Of course, you can get uh, free CDs as well on the way out. Today, I want to talk to you. we got one more week. Next week is Palm Sunday. I'm going to finish up our series. Then Easter. It's going to be an amazing time. And then i start a new four-week series called Trapped. What do you do when you feel trapped by life circumstances, by unhealthy patterns? What do you do? How do you respond? Really, really, uh, I think, helpful uh, series uh, for all of us. Today, I want to talk to you about the fifth statement uh, that Jesus made from the cross. And that is when he said, I am thirsty. What does it mean when Jesus said, I am thirsty? Am thirsty. You know, our bodies are 60 to 75 percent water. So that means someone like myself, 150 pounds. <laughs> you should lie in church, Pastor. Come on, you should. That was a faith statement. Okay, that was, a, I'm more than that. But anyway, if you weigh 150 pounds, that means there's roughly 12 gallons of water in your body. That's, that's a lot it's interesting when you think about water you think about how much we need water do you know the number one reason for human fatigue physically is a lack of water in your body you know i work out and i exercise and it's interesting uh the later it gets in the spring and then into the summer i have to start running early and early why is that because when you run and it's hot uh you get a headache well why because you become dehydrated a lack of water so water is powerful. I mean, we can't, we can't go without water. You can go without food for about 40 or 50 days or even longer, but, but three to four without water. It's interesting when I began to think about this statement, when Jesus said, I, I am thirsty, how important it was to his humanity. For him to say this statement, it was a, a picture into, into, into the humanity of who Jesus is. This fifth statement made from the cross, I want to look at the implications of it today. As I mentioned earlier in our series, again, Jesus was nailed to the cross nine o'clock in the morning, six hours later, he breathes his last breath, three o'clock in the afternoon. So a six hour long process. Three of the statements that he made, one of them is this, three out of the seven were the last few moments of his life. I want to talk to you today about the implications of what does it mean when Jesus said, I am thirsty. If you have your Bible, John chapter 19, John chapter 19, i want to read two verses. I want to read verse 28 and 29 as we set up the context of unpacking this statement and the significance of how does this apply to me today, pastor? How does the statement when Jesus said, I am thirsty, how does that help me through a bad day? How does that help me on Monday morning, going to work, dealing with conflict at work? How does his statement, I am thirsty, apply to me today? We're going to talk about that. John chapter 19, verse 28. The Bible says, after this, Jesus knew that everything, listen, everything had been done. What do you mean everything had been done? Everything insofar as him procuring our salvation. Last week, Coach Tom, it is finished. What was finished? What was finished was the work of Christ on the cross. He Paying for the penalty and the price of sin, breaking the power of sin. Again, the veil in the temple, ripped from top to bottom. No human being could have done that. And yet Jesus did. He said, he said, listen, he said that his work last week, it is finished. His work was done. Well, we say it again. Everything had been done. Salvation is finished. It is now purchased so that The scripture would come true, he said. I'm going to unpack that in a minute. What does it mean? So that the scriptures come true, he says, I am thirsty. Look at the next verse, verse 29. There was a jar full of vinegar there, so the soldiers soaked the sponge in it, put the sponge on a branch of hyssop plant, and lifted it. Some of you that saw the Passion of the Christ or Jesus of Nazareth, you, you remember the, the, the picture where, 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 the, where the Roman soldiers, they, would, they took a sponge and, and, and they lifted it up and they would put it in his mouth. He would turn his mouth and he would just take drops, of, just drops, drops of that to quench his thirst. The question is why? Why is it at three o'clock in the afternoon Jesus received the quenching of his thirst and yet at nine o'clock in the morning when the same thing was offered to him, something to satiate, to whet his appetite, something to to, to quench his thirst, why is it he rejected it at nine in the morning and then he received it at three? Listen to this. This is so interesting. Mark chapter 15, verse 23. This This is six hours before this moment when he took the when he took the, 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 the liquid to his tongue right in his last few moments, three o'clock in the afternoon. Look, look, look right here. This is nine in the morning. The soldiers tried to give Jesus wine mixed with myrrh to drink, but he refused. Why did he refuse at nine o'clock a.m.? And he partook at three o'clock p.m. The Bible says that the soldiers had mixed myrrh and wine. I never forget. I, uh, when I was in the sixth grade, I was in a school play, a Christmas play, and they gave parts out, uh, and we were all kind of, quite honestly, some of us we wanted to be, some of us wanted to be Jesus, you know, some of the girls wanted to be Mary, obviously. And, and or, or, excuse me, Joseph and then Mary's. And obviously there was, you know, there, we actually had sixth graders that would, that, would, that would, you know, have this whole display where they would pick and, and one wanted to be the shepherd and one, and, and, and I chose to be one of the wise men. It was interesting. The only drawback, the cool thing is we got to wear the coolest outfits. The drawback is we had to sing a song. So I'll never forget in sixth grade, I had to come up and the whole gym is full of people. And and, I, and my mom put this little, I don't know where they got it. And it's probably in the attic now, but I had this little outfit and we came out and I was one of the wise men. And and, and, and the first one had, had, had gold, right? Come on, y'all with me, yes? Remember the little manger scene? Golly, work with me, all right? <laughs> I know they've taken it out of America, but you still have it in your attic, but here it is, so. I, I, here it is. That's another message. Anyway, so, 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 so the, there's three things that the manger, seeing the wise man. Everybody say gold. And what's the second thing? Frank, it's in it's. the third thing. I had to carry the myrrh out. I thought, myrrh, I don't know what myrrh is. I'll be honest, I really still don't know what myrrh is. <laughs> Do you? <laughs> and so we had to bring it out. And when we brought it out, we had to bring it out like, like this, and we had to sing we three kings of orient are every time i sing the worship leaders get real intimidated because they feel like oh gosh Pastor's is going to take our job too but anyway so <laughs> there's a whole package here i'm sorry i just i apologize and so so i'm just playing so so i never forget singing this little song and thinking to myself i don't even know what i'm singing about Mur? It wasn't until later in Bible school and in seminary, when I studied this that I began to understand that myrrh, myrrh is actually a narcotic. Myrrh is something that was used, it was used as a it was something that was used as a painkiller in Bible times, an anesthetic. It was something that dulled the pain. Of course, you, can go to, you couldn't go to CVS, you couldn't go to Walgreens, you couldn't go to any of those things, right, and go get prescription or, you prescription. Know, so, you, you, so what happened is when people were in pain, they would take myrrh and they would mix it in wine and they would take it and it would, it would, it would act literally as a, as a painkiller to the body. Why is it that at 9 o'clock Jesus refused that? He refused something to drink. And at 3 o'clock, he received it. Because at 9 o'clock, don't miss this, because at 9 o'clock, if he would have drank that wine mixed with myrrh, it would have dulled the pain. And he did not want to have anything left on the field. He wanted to experience all the emotional pain, all the mental pain, all the spiritual pain. He wanted the full judgment of God Almighty to be felt in his body so that he could complete the work of salvation. Let me tell you, how many of y'all are grateful that Jesus did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves? How many of y'all are grateful? I'm grateful. What do we learn about the words Jesus spoke? It is finished. Is salvation. What do we learn about the words I am thirsty? It's three things. I want to talk to you about I am thirsty from a theological standpoint today. I want to talk about it from a prophetic standpoint. And I want to talk about it from a personal standpoint. There's actually three dimensions there. There's a theological dimension, there's a prophetic dimension, and there's a personal dimension. Let's unpack theologically. Why did Jesus say, I thirst? Number one, I'll tell you why I believe that is because Jesus really was a human being. Gods don't get thirsty, but humans do. Now, interestingly enough, theologically speaking, and this is important. Stay with me, okay? Jesus was 100% God, but he was 100% man. Some people think he's 50-50. He wasn't 50-50. He was 100% God and 100% man. Theologically, it's called the hypostatic union. Fully God and fully man. Why is that important? Because I can't relate to a God. Remember Wizard of Oz? They had the little guy behind the curtains and it's and like this big thing. I can't relate to a God that hasn't been like me and suffered what I've suffered. I can't relate to a God that hasn't gone through the things that I've gone through, but I have a God, and you have a God who is 100% God, but he was 100% man. And because of that, he has been touched with the feelings of our weaknesses. He knows what it's like. The Bible says actually that Jesus, this is like heavy, was tempted in all ways, and yet without sin. I remember in the 80s, or late, I think it was the 80, I, I forgot when it was, I was 1920, but do you remember the last temptation of Christ which was totally unscriptural. He didn't have an affair with Mary Magdalene. That's totally He was tempted and always with, yet without sin. He was a man that overcame temptation. He was he was he was he was a man that thirsted. He was a man that was hungry. Listen, let me just tell you something. Ghosts don't thirst. Ghosts don't get hungry. But a man, Jesus, he thirsted and a man cried over the city of Jerusalem. And a man felt rejection and a man felt ostracized. Jesus was a man, 100% God, but he was a man, the son of God and the son of man. I'm so grateful that that we have a God that when we approach him, he, he knows exactly He knows exactly what it feels like. The reality is when Jesus said I am thirsty, he was he was he was he was declaring to the world, I get you, I get you. I know exactly how it feels. Philippians chapter two, verse seven, but he gave up his place, Jesus, he gave up his place with God and made himself nothing. Think about it, he's on the streets of gold, I mean, mean, he's powerful up there, right? And he was born as a man and he became like a servant. Look at verse 28, and when he was living as a man, some people think, Some people think, and I've read over the years, they think that, it, watch this, that he appeared as a man. That's not true, he was a man. That he was like a holographic image. No, he was a man, wasn't an image of a man. Some people think that he, he alleged, no, he was a man that thirsted and got hungry and experienced pain and experienced rejection and experienced loneliness. All the emotions that we, he was a man. And he became a fit, and he was fully obedient to God, even when he caused his death—the death on the cross. And by the way, do you remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane? I taught about that a couple weeks ago. Do you remember Jesus in a moment of vulnerability? What he said? What did he say? Translation: S.J.R. Stephen James Robinson version. You ready? If there's any way I could get out of the cross, God, help me. But it's not what I want. It's what you want. That was a man talking. Yeah. Hey. The, the, the power of this, listen to me, is he gets you. He gets what you're going through in your relationships. He gets what you're going through at work. He gets what you're going through in your relationships with your siblings. He gets you. Don't you remember I talked about it a couple of weeks ago? Every single one of his siblings did not believe who he was until after the resurrection. And then James, the half-brother of Jesus, I taught about the book of James. He then said, ah, oh, you really are the man. So he gets it. He gets family rejection, he gets, he gets loneliness, he, he gets all of these things. I hesitate to say this because it's like an illustration two weeks in a row that's similar, but I have to say, because I don't think there's a better one, I know Coach Tom talked about last week when he went to Israel. Part of the revelation that he got when he went to Israel, let me just say this, if you ever had an opportunity to go to Israel, please do it. It's phenomenal. One of the reasons why it's so powerful is you actually read the Bible and you go, wait a minute, I get it. I see where Galilee is, I understand Jerusalem, the Sea of, uh, sea of you know, uh, the Galilee, I understand uh, the Jordan River, Jericho. And so it helps you to understand geographically where the Bible is. And so the Bible has a tremendous meaning. It's like it makes sense. So I encourage you to go to Israel. We do trips in the summertime. But the second thing that happened to me when I went to Israel, not only is the Bible became real to me in a whole new way, it's the person of Christ did. i I'll never forget I was on that boat. There's a boat that you go across uh, the Sea of Galilee. And by the way, the Sea of Galilee is not what you think. It's not like the lake. You could fit many Sea of Galilee's inside the Lake Pontchartrain. Seriously, it's only eight and a half miles this way. It's like two and a half this way. It's, it's not that big. But I was riding on that boat across the Sea of Galilee, and I, and I just thought to myself, I just thought to myself, Jesus rode on a boat like this. Jesus walked on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus caught Peter when he walked and then he sank. And I thought to myself, then I got off the boat and we were in Capernaum, and Capernaum was the first ministry base of Jesus. Peter lived in Capernaum. Peter's mother-in-law lived in Capernaum. Peter understood, and Jesus visited there. That was his base, Capernaum. And I'm thinking to myself, Jesus He really was a human being. And he really suffered pain when Peter left him, when he denied him. Number one, the reason why I think I, I thirst is so powerful is because, because he gets us, he really is a human. Number two, there's not only a theological reason, but there's also a, a prophetic reason. Now, now, I need everybody to stay with me, okay? Look, I try to be funny, I try to make illustrations, I try to, please stay with me, because this is so important for you to get the Bible. This is, please just give me five, seven minutes. This point, this is gonna so help, particularly in a culture that's increasingly anti-biblical or non-biblical. This will help you. Listen, listen, listen to what, why this is so critical. John 19, 28, all right? I'm equipping you as your pastor. This is so important. Look what it says. Jesus knew, this is the second reason why I thirst. The first is theological. There's a reason theologically he said it, but there's a reason prophetically. Everybody say prophetic. Okay, watch this. Jesus knew that he had now finished his work. Salvation was accomplished. And in order to make the scriptures come, everybody say it, true. Hmm. So the, so the work of Jesus on the cross verifies the truthfulness of scripture. Yes, and he said this statement, I am what? Say it thirsty. Oh, now, how does the statement, I am thirsty, relate to making the Bible come true? There is what's called prophetic verses. A prophetic verse, 30 seconds. Bibles is separated in Old Testament and New Testament. Old Testament is pointing to the cross. New Testament is pointing back to the cross, all right? There are 380 verses in the Old Testament that speak to the coming messiah not one not two not three not four not five not 100, not 200, not 300, 380 verses in the Old Testament written 500 years before the birth of Christ up to 1,500 years before the birth of Christ. A lot of them around seven and 800 years when Jeremiah and Isaiah, and he was speaking of this man, his life, his death, Micah, in the book of Micah, he shall be born in Bethlehem. Where was he born, everybody say it? Bethlehem. That was, that was hundreds of years before the birth of Christ. That's called a prophetic verse, a prophetic verse. I taught through the book of Daniel and Revelation, prophetic books. But there's 380 prophetic verses where in the Old Testament, there are verses speaking of this moment right here, dying on the cross to fulfill his savior role. I, I, it's interesting. Let, let me just give you one of these. This verse was written, the book of Isaiah was written 750 years 750 years before Christ, I wrote this down, which means 9,000 months before the death of Christ, which means 2,700 and days, 270,000 days before the death on the cross, this was written by Isaiah. Let's read it, this is called a prophetic verse. Jesus, this man, okay, he is despised and rejected by men. Was Jesus despised and rejected by men? Yes or no? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, the whole world turned their back on him. All right? Rejected, despised by man. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Was he a man of, of sorrows? Did he go through tremendous pain in the garden of Gethsemane? Yes or no? Yes, and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. What do you mean we hid our What does that mean? How many disciples did Jesus have? Come on, say it out loud. Twelve. How many were at the cross? That's rejection. Your whole small group's abandon you except one. Are you with me? That's a big deal. And we did not esteem him because immediately somebody who's super high IQ, they go, well, yeah, well, other people, they've fulfilled this, yeah, but not 380 different verses. Look what it says, next verse. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried away our sorrows. That's what he was doing on the cross. That's what he was doing by his stripes. That's what he was doing, going through this whole thing for us. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God. God smote him. In other words, God put our sin, my sin, God put Steve's sin on Christ on the cross. All of my wrongdoing, all the things I've done wrong, all the things I've said wrong. God did that. God the Father put that. God the Father smitten Jesus. Wow. And he was afflicted. Look at the next verse. But he was wounded for our sins, transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquities, sin patterns. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are what? Everybody say it. Healed. You know, when I do communion once a month around here, I'll I'll say that and be looking for it, be listening for that. I'll raise up the bread and the wine. I'll raise it up, the body of Christ, the blood of Christ, and I'll talk about that by your stripes we are healed. There are 380 verses in the Old Testament, 380, that speak to this. It's impossible to just make that up. Well, pastor, what about the whole I thirst thing? Well, where is that from? Thank you for asking. Psalm 69, 21. And, he gave, and they gave me, everybody say it, for my what? What? What's the chance of them having a bottle of vinegar at the cross? What were they doing that for? I don't know. No, I do know. To fulfill prophecy. So that the Bible, you know it's true. i never forget, I was at Tulane University. I loved the college. I graduated from there. I liked parts of it. Let me say it that way. And I'll never forget the professor. And I really enjoyed the professors and they were all sophisticated and all that. And i never forget one of them getting up there talking about the scripture and the Bible and talking about it somewhat of a, and there was a certain level of reverence in the sense of, you know, it was good literature to help people with ethical living, love people, be kind to people, but they did not, he did not see it as inspired by God, didn't see it as the word of God, didn't see any of that. And I wish I'd have known now, I wish I'd have known then what I know now, because it is impossible for, for Jesus to fulfill prophecy unless this book has some supernatural revel- relevancy beyond Aesop's fables. That was good preaching just now. That, that equip you. Does that make sense? Pastor, what are you saying? Well, why, 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 why are you saying that? I, I wrote this down and I'm going to the last point. Dr. Peter Stone Stoner looked at the probability that one man would fulfill just eight of 300 prophecies. And he looked at it. By the way, I took probability and statistics in college. I didn't, I mean, it was kind of hard for me, just to be honest. But I did learn a little bit about how this works. And, and what he said was, it, it just, there's 380 prophecies. He said, let's take 300 as an even number. And let's take eight. Watch this. The chance of one man just fulfilling eight of these 300 prophecies. Here's what he said, it would be like one times 10 to the 28th power. In other words, you have more chance of being the ambassador to Finland, winning the Oscars, winning the Emmy, dying in a plane crash, uh, and shooting a world-class white-tailed deer. I mean, you, 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 have, you have more chance of doing that than, than, than these being fulfilled if this is just a, a, a happenstance. Now, this is God. And this is scripture. And Jesus really is the Son of God. And He really is the Son of man. And He really did die to pay, pay for, for your sin and mine. Say, Pastor, okay. Wait, time out. Time out. All right. It's almost Easter. Next week's Palm Sunday. Here's my question because this is what I like about Church King. How does this help me today? I get it. I understand the theological thing. He is a man. I understand prophetically, you're right, man. In the Bible, this is amazing. This is not just just motivational material. This is not just Dale Carnegie. This is this is like this is like supernatural. This is inspirational. This is God-breathed stuff. And I see how the fulfillment of prophecy, 380 prophecies about Jesus, it's being fulfilled. But how does this help me on Monday? I think number three, you ready? Jesus was real. So we can be real. If Jesus is real and he was honest and he was open, why do we play games so much? Why are we not open with God? If Jesus, whose whole life's mission was to die on the cross, and he was honest enough to say, I don't want to do this, that's pretty real. You think God the Father going, oh, you got to do it. We don't have a plan B. (laughs) You know, I studied in... in, I don't even want to talk about college. I don't talk about that much, but I... But I, but I studied in college a lot of Aristotelian logic and Greek and philosophy and all these different things. And I remember studying about, in the, in the Greco-Roman world, you know, they would have big plays. And that would be kind of the, the center of town where they would have a lot of entertainment, right? Of course, this is before TV, media, social, all that stuff. So, right, so you'd come around. So the whole town would come out and they would have these giant plays. Interesting, then they would often turn into political gatherings, which is not much different than today. And so anyway, so what's interesting is, is that they would have actors and they would have these masks. Do you know what an actor with a mask was called? A hypocrite. A Greek actor that wore a mask was called a hypocrite. In other words, in other words, who they were portraying themselves to be in the play was not who they really are. Why is it that so often we don't portray who we really are to God? Wow, you know, I'm just kind of struggling. Well, I don't want to talk to Jesus, you know, because he'll find out. (laughs) I promise you, he knows. That's why Paul said it this way. See, this this is a freeing thing. Please stay with me before I call. Please stay, stay. This is so freeing to us. We don't have to be perfect to come to God. Look, look what Paul said. I love Paul. He is. Like the John Wayne of scripture. I mean, just, you know, just say thing and it just, it just, I just like the guy. All right. Second Corinthians 4 2, he says, We refuse, by the way, this is the message paraphrase. Somebody emailed me once. The message is not a translation of the Bible, it's a paraphrase. Okay, you're in here. We got it right this time. It's a, it's a, this is a paraphrase, but look what he says. Paul says, We refuse to what? Everybody say it? To be a hypocrite. In other words, if I'm hurting, I'm just going to go to God. say, God, I'm hurting right now. And he says, we refuse to wear a mask and play games. Rather, we keep everything we do and say, out in the open. We keep it out in the open. The whole truth on display so that those who want can see. Why do we hide? Why, Why do we do that? Why do we run from God? Why do we run from the people of God? i never forget one time in the same week, I saw a guy in our church, he was in our church and I knew he was going through a tough time, and I saw him in two different restaurants. I saw him the first time, and he felt real uneasy, and I'm like, he got up and left. He saw me come in, he left. The same thing happened in the latter part of the, I, you know, I went after him. And I just followed him. I said, hey, hey, He goes, oh, pastor, you know. I said, no, 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 time out, time out. He goes, oh, man, I'm just not doing well. I said, well, time out, time out, time out. And I'm not God, trust me. I I got just, we're all in process, all right? But as this pastor, I represented whatever to him, you know, this man of God. The point is this. Here's the point. I said, listen, don't run from the people of God. Don't run from God and the people of God when you're hurting, run to them. You don't get, well, I'm hurting. huh? Let me isolate. That'll really help out. That, that is the wrong direction. See, Jesus was real so that I could be real, so that you can be real, so that we can be transparent, that we can be open. First John 1: seven and eight, but we walk in the light as He is in the light, and we have fellowship with one another. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. We all have stuff we're walking through. I love what it says, and we have fellowship with one another. So that means, Pastor, part of me walking with God is part of me walking with the people of God and being open with the people of God. Let, let, me, let, me, give you just, let me just give you a couple of reasons why I believe, I believe that, 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 that we're not real with God and people. Number one is, is, is we try to hide our weaknesses. Number two is we, 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 we inordinately crave desire for approval from other people. Stay with me. What do you mean, pastor? Should we have a good reputation? Should I care about what people think or should I not care? Sometimes I hear preachers talking about the good name is to be chosen above silver in the book of Proverbs. Then I hear preachers say, don't worry about what people think about me. Okay, let me give you the balance. Here it is. This is what I think scripturally, okay? Here it is. I think we ought to have a good, re- I think we ought to have a good reputation for being godly, being open, but being transparent, but we're not dominated by what people say. I think we should be dominated by what God says, but we should appreciate what people say. Do you understand the difference? The fear of man, listen to me, what, if you are dominated by what people think about you, their opinion changes as much as the weather in South Louisiana <laughs> or Mississippi. Are y'all with me? It just changes. It just one day it's raining, it's not raining. Their, their opinion changes. If I'm dominated by the fear of the opinion of others, listen, I'll never be open to other people, why? Lest I don't put my best foot forward. Does that make sense? Look what it says in Proverbs, here's what it says. For the fear of man will prove to be a snare. A snare is a trap in Bible times. I don't wanna be trapped by the fear of man. I I, I wanna be open, I I wanna be free, I I wanna be, now listen to me, let me qualify. I understand in social graces, I understand that, that this is not talking about having a past to be a jerk but it is talking about being open and transparent. And when you go to a small group where you're around people, you can can be appropriately open, you can be appropriately honest, and we don't have to live ensnared by what people say, but we can appreciate what they say. We need to live by what God says about us. By the way, let me help everybody. How do you know if you're living snared by what people say when the opinions of man become more important than God's word to you? I'll never forget when I got saved three times. Three times. I went out and partied after I got saved because my friends worked on Steve, you need to go do it. <laughs> and finally, I just made a decision. I said, and I was scared what they were going to say about me. And finally, I just made a decision. I said, I'm not going to be, I love you, but I'm not going to be dominated by you. I, listen, I'm not going to allow you to make me cave in to my new convictions just so that I can please you. I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm going to live for a new family. I'm going to live for a new identity. I'm not my old person. I'm a new person. I'm not going to live for the desire and the approval of your opinion. I want to please God more than I want to please you. Does that make sense? Let me give you this last thing that causes us to not be open, and that's past hurts. Listen to me closely. This is so important. James 5 16 says this, therefore confess your sins to each other. Wait a minute, I thought I was supposed to confess them to God. You do to God, but there's a horizontal dimension to Christianity, there's a vertical and a horizontal. And pray for one another so that you can be healed. Wait a minute, Pastor. Wait a minute. I, I, this is what I wrote. I said, we need to confess our sins and our past hurts. God's people can pray for one another so that we can be healed. Many Christians, listen to me closely. Many Christians are forgiven, but they're not healed. And the reason is, is because they're forgiven by God, but they're not connected to people. How did you get hurt? Through people. How do you get healed? God working through people. Oh man, you got to open up. You got to go for it. Can I tell you how pastors get weird? I'm a pastor, so I can say this. It's kind of like what you are, you can say, is when they get hurt, they isolate. And when they get hurt, they just kind of wall themselves off. And they read the book of Revelation by themselves. And their hair turns green. (laughs) Then they start thinking that they're their apostle Paul themselves. They get weird. Pastor, do you ever get hurt? All the time. All the time. Listen to me. But I know where to go bring that hurt. And I've I've got a group of people... I've got a group of men that are around me that I can go be honest with my hurts. I can be transparent. I can be open. They can pray for me. You're the pastor. Oh, what will they think of you? i tell you what they'll think of me. Thank God pastors modeling that, he can, that we can be open. There's no perfect Christians, Church of the King. No, let me, listen to me, listen to me. If you're looking for a church that's an eternal Christmas card, it's not the right church. You know what a Christmas card is? Everybody's perfect. Everybody's hair is perfect. Everybody's teeth is perfect. Everybody's life's perfect. Everything's perfect. That's not real. It's not real. What's real is people that love God, we're on a journey. We know Jesus. We're growing in the image of Christ. And when we're hurting, we can be open. We can be open. You know what those men have done for me many times? The pastor don't pray for you. I said, yeah, just pray for me, man. Just pray for me. And I'll just, I'll just put my head down. I've got a group of guys, just, just pray for me. And I'm hurting about this. And I heard this, and somebody said this. And oh, gosh, oh, I hate that. Man, I never get past that. Oh. But that's all right. I got I to gotta grow. Thank you. Can you pray for me? I, even if I've sinned or said something wrong or had a wrong attitude, I can go to God and get forgiven. But i I, but I got to get people to pray for me. i got to get people in my life to help me. I can't do this by myself. You can't do it by yourself. That's the body of Christ. What is an ear if it's by itself, but when it's connected to the body? Yeah. When Jesus said, I have thirst, you know what he was saying? I'm real, so you can be real. Let me pray for you. Jesus, I thank you that you're here by your spirit, by your presence. And Lord, we don't have to live phony lives. We don't have to try to be better than we are. We don't have to compete with the person next to us. We just simply have to be honest and open to you. And I'm praying that in small groups, the hundreds and hundreds of groups we have and the ministry teams and the people serving together and the body of Christ here at Church of the King, I'm praying that we can find a group of people that we can be open with. That we don't have to be a hypocrite, which means wear a mask. That we can talk about when we're hurting. We can talk about, celebrate our victories and also talk about our defeats. But all the while, pushing us on towards becoming what you've created us to be. Lord, make us a friend. I'm praying this prayer. I want everybody to please hear me. Make us a friend where we don't judge those that are hurting. Wow. Now that's an important prayer. Make us a friend where we don't judge those that are hurting, but we help those that are hurting, that we lift, that we pray for, that we speak life over. God is with you. There's a second chance in God. There's another chance. You have a future. The devil's not going to destroy your life. We're with you. God's for you. We're believing God to see you broken free and healed and restored and delivered. We're trusting Christ with, that's that's the body of Christ. That's what we need right there, right there.